Hebrews 4, 1 through 13. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit from them, because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David so long afterward in the words already quoted, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, for if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is a living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and of the spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. The word of the Lord. Pray with me. Father, thank you for uh, this morning. Thank you for um, the grace that um, in spite of... um, in spite of us trying to figure out how to make life uh, work on our own, that you uh, have loved us, that you've given us uh, grace, that you've done everything, everything necessary um, to bring us back to you. Um, And that doesn't just apply to um, new believers or unbelievers, but that applies to um, older and tired believers that you uh, sustain us, uh, you sustain me with your grace. Thank you, Father, for that. pray that you would be uh, with us this morning as we hear from Gordon as he unpacks uh, your word. Um, pray that uh, we would receive it as an invitation um, and that you would be with Gordon, and that he would know uh, that you love him and that you have done everything necessary to draw him to yourself. pray this in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you, Graham, and yeah, Emma and Marielle and Tony, thanks, that was amazing and a beautiful song, and I've never heard that before, and I, f- I just feel like this is one of these mornings that I'm just so thankful for how God is sovereign, and I feel like he's just organized so much of what we've done already um, to just kind of be connected. I mean, that, that song, Slow Me Down, and Graham sharing about his um, lack of wanting to rest and desire to kind of churn, I mean, that's really what we've been talking about for 12 weeks in a lot of ways, and we're going to kind of dial down on it this morning. This is our last Sunday, I believe Emma said, um, in our sermon series called Delighting in Our Dependence. It's based on a book by Dr. Kelly Capick, 
um, called You're Only Human. And so for the last 12 weeks, we've been looking at what does it look like to be faithful in our finitude and in our limits, and how do we glorify God and help other, others in them, um, given that there's only so much we can actually do as dependent creatures. And over the last three weeks, we've specifically been looking at practically, well, how do we do this? And we've looked at what Dr. Caput calls his four key ideas, and these are what they are. It says, he said that we need to learn how to embrace the rhythms and seasons of life. We need to recognize vulnerability. We need to express latitude and gratitude, latitude and gratitude, lament and gratitude. I think it was a Jimmy Buffett song, I think. Express lament and gratitude. This is what we looked at last week. And then this morning, finally, our last key idea we're going to look at, rest, honoring both sleep and the Sabbath. So as a side note, next week we are beginning a new sermon series on the book of Exodus. And this is a book that in 20 years at Hope we've never studied on Sunday mornings. So we're really looking forward to that. But this morning we're going to consider rest, honoring both sleep and Sabbath. And out of the gate we need to note that the theme of rest is one of the most important themes in all of the Bible. Depending on your preferred Bible translations, uh, the word rest or a related term can, can occur as little as 380 times in the King James Version or as much as 585 times in the Amplified Bible. And so the first place that we see rest is um, pretty early on in the book of Genesis where we read, Thus the heavens and earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the, blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. And so obviously this theme is going to occur over and over again. We see it in the Old Testament, in the Ten Commandments that we see in Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5, where we're told to work six days, but not on the Sabbath. It's a day of rest and worship of the Lord. Later in Jeremiah 6, one of my favorite passages in all the Bible, we're told that if we look to the old roads and keep to the ancient paths, there we will find rest for our souls. In the New Testament, Jesus, somewhat famously in Matthew 11, says to come to him, all who are weary and heavy laden, and he will give us rest. And then there's our passage this morning, which may give the most attention to rest. And we see it right out of the gate in verse 1 of chapter 4, that there is a promise of rest that still stands that it was available to the recipients of the letter to the Hebrews, but it is also available to us now. And so let me ask you this morning, are you at rest? Or maybe a better way to ask this is, how do you sleep at night? My guess is for most of us in the room, the answer is not very well. And if that's how you would answer that question, I would tell you that you keep good company. Because just last summer, there was an article in Forbes magazine that came out, and it said that nearly 40% of all Americans sleep less than six hours per night, leading to a higher num risk for a number of health concerns. Going on to point out that 57% of middle schoolers and 72% of high schoolers don't get enough sleep on school nights. So that's bad news for the Fleming kids. We'll have to make those adjustments. David Zoll, in his book Seculosity, points out in his chapters on rest and leisure that in late 2014, the CDC declared insomnia to be a full-blown health epidemic in the United States. 
that Americans are having more trouble sleeping than ever before, and the number of diagnosed sleep disorders has skyrocketed. And then he goes on to point out that even when we have the opportunity to rest, we more than any other nation choose not to. He wrote, Despite boasting the smallest amount of paid days off, the United States leads the developed world in untaken vacation days. We clock in some 1,788 hours per year, 120 more than our counterparts in Britain, 300 more than the French, and 400 more than the Germans. But here's what we need to realize. We were all created for rest, for sleep, for Sabbath. All of these things came to us pre-sin before Adam and Eve ate of the forbidden fruit. Even Jesus, when God put skin on and came to this earth, when he was here, he rested, he slept, and he Sabbathed. But many of us, if not all of us, like Graham pointed out, we fight against it. We would rather grind. Again, how do you sleep? Thinking about this day, thinking about the Sabbath, how well do you Sabbath? God set aside 14% of our week, one day a week, to set it aside for worship and for rest. Outside of being here this morning and maybe grabbing a nap this afternoon and maybe not heading to the office, how different is this day than any other day? Is it functionally just another Saturday with church in the morning? If you do work, how good are you at leaving it at the, op- at the office? How often do you fire up the laptop at night? When you do have the chance to relax, is it just an opportunity to catch up on what you missed on social media or binge watch Netflix? Do you actually ever give your brain a break? Sadly, I know how I answer these questions, that I'm terrible at doing these very things. I don't rest well. I don't sleep well. I have a hard time falling asleep, and then when I finally do, I'm up throughout the night, my mind racing. Sadly, in many ways, I treat today just like any other day. After all, it is a work day for me, but on Sunday afternoons, I try to rest, but I usually can't because my mind is racing thinking about that morning, wondering how my sermon was received, thinking about the upcoming week and the passage that I'm going to preach the following week. I have a hard time being still. I have a hard time doing nothing. In a lot of ways, even the idea of doing nothing or being still for any extended period of time makes me uncomfortable. And this isn't good for me, it's not good for you, and it's not good for our overworked and unrested culture. Because as author and speaker Wayne Mueller wrote, if we do not allow for a rhythm of rest in our overly busy lives, Illness becomes our Sabbath, our pneumonia, our cancer, our heart attack. Our accidents create Sabbath for us. We were created for rest. We were created for rhythm. And to live without them betrays the image of God in us who rested on the seventh day of creation. But we have really good news. There is rest that is available for us. Verse 1, the promise of rest still stands. We can rest. And I'm not just talking about from our labor. I am talking about the ultimate rest. We can rest in God. We can find our rest in Him. 
He can slow us down and it will enable us to rest in every other area of our life. So here's the question so we're all on the same page. What is rest? Or maybe more specifically, what does it mean to rest in God? Well, there is a beautiful picture of this in Psalm 3, and this is written by King David as his son Absalom is trying to kill him. And this is what he wrote. O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of the many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. So here's the psalm, a poem written by a man about to go to battle, and he is greatly outnumbered, and he sleeps. His own son wants him dead, and he sleeps. He faces thousands of enemies that want to kill him, and he sleeps. Don't miss the significance of that. If you think about it, it's pretty amazing. He said, I laid down and I slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of the many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Again, that's pretty unbelievable. Because we as a world don't sleep. And we don't have thousands of people trying to kill us. But our conversations keep us from sleeping. Our mistakes keep us from sleeping. Stress from work, worry about our kids, financial burdens. These are enemies we face, which I would argue are not as significant as thousands of people that are trying to kill you. But still, they keep us from rest. Dr. Capic wrote on this very dynamic. He said, we now find it difficult to rest. The goodness of creation and the rhythm of productivity and peace are clouded over by our estrangement from God. We are confronted not only by our limits, but by our sins, the ways we have hurt others, disappointed ourselves, and ignored our Creator. This situation creates in us an endless striving. We want approval and we want security, but they easily elude us. Ultimately, we don't have rest. Because of three words that he mentioned. Estrangement from God. Now essentially what that means is that we believe that God does not have our back. But David knew God had his back. David knew that he was his protector. And that's why he could sleep. He knew that God would fight for him and protect him. Again in verse 7 he said, Arise, O Lord, save me God. You strike my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. He knew that God would fight for him. Even before he faced Goliath, he said, This battle belongs to the Lord. He had peace with God. He was not estranged from him from him, and because of this, he could rest, he could sleep. Well, what about us? How about you? Do you have peace with God, or are you estranged from him? Because here's a really hard reality, and it's really hard for me to even say, the real way to know the validity of your faith is by how well you can rest. 
When trouble and tension come to you, do you know that God has your back? Are you able to rest in him? Now, I will tell you that this week was one of the hardest weeks I've ever had in sermon preparation, maybe the hardest week I've ever had, because I realize how much of my lack of rest reveals about my relationship with God. It shows me how much darkness and doubt I have in my faith. Again, I struggle to sleep. I worry about finances. I worry about my kids. I worry about this church. I have a hard time resting on Sunday because I'm so consumed with what you think of me. In this area of my life, I have so much development that needs to happen. How about you? Do you live your life like you have a heavenly father who loves you, approves of you, will take care of you, and has your back? Or do you live like a spiritual orphan, like I often do? Dr. Capic wrote something else that really resonated with me this week. He said this, my own struggles with sleep have often revealed that I, either I am failing to trust in God's faithfulness or I am tempted to feel that God has left me as an orphan, John 14, 8. I start to act as if the weight of the world rests on my shoulders, concerns about my children's spouse or church, fears about the future and finances, health and happiness, they all weigh on me. This weight inevitably wakes me up and then keeps me from sleep. I can't sleep because I feel a need to constantly watch my back, prepare, and be ahead of the game. When I feel like an orphan or ignored by God, sleep becomes elusive to me. When I read that this week, I immediately had to read it again because I really did feel like he was writing about me. I think I've mentioned before, a few of us are in a pastor's cohort here, a few of the pastors here at Hope, and our director is a man that I've talked about before. I've known for a long time. You may know him. His name is Clyde Godwin. And Clyde, for all the years that I've known him, has been really good to me and pursued me in ways that really nobody ever has before. And one time when I was talking to him, I made the comment, I said, Clyde, I have no idea why you're so interested in me or what you see in me. And he said, Gordon, it's because I love you and you are the most orphan-minded person I've ever met. Well, when I heard that, I kind of laughed. I thought he was joking and I looked up at him and he wasn't even smiling. He was just staring at me, and when I read Dr. Capic's quote that I just read a minute ago, that conversation was the first thing that came to mind, and it occurred to me, that's why I don't rest, because I live my life like an orphan, and sadly, I know that I'm not alone. This is our heart's default. It's the mindset that we wake up with every day. I've mentioned before how impactful the lives of Ugandan orphans have been on me and my spiritual journey. On the dozen or so mission trips that I've taken to Uganda, the primary ministry that we work with is one that serves imprisoned orphans in what are called remand homes, and they're essentially children's prisons. And I've met hundreds of orphans over the years, and it's not an exaggeration to say that every single one that I've met does not know where their their food, their next meal is going to come from. They don't know where their next change of clothes is going to come from. They don't know if they were going to be harmed or even live through the day, and ultimately they know, they know that they have no one to protect them, that they are on their own and their very survival depends on how well they are able to take care of themselves and figure out their situation. Everything falls on them. The weight of the world is on their shoulders. Is that any different than us? Functionally, don't we all live our lives in this very way? 
that the weight of the world is on our shoulders, that we have this orphan's mentality, this estrangement from God. But again, the promise of rest still stands. We can still have it. We can enter into the rest of God. Well, how do we do it? How do we actually take a step in this direction? Well, good news, our passage this morning tells us how, and it tells us three things that we can practically do to enter into the rest of God every day. And the first thing that we need to do is that we need to hear the gospel. We need to listen to the good news. Look again at verse 2. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. He mentions the good news again in verse 6. And so what is the good news? What is the gospel? It essentially is this, that you are more wicked. I am more wicked than we even realize. You think you know your sin? God knows it better, far better than you do. As verse 13 told us, and no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Because of this, on your own, you are estranged from God. There is nothing that any of us can do to earn God's love and forgiveness. Nothing. Left to ourselves, we are only deserving of hell and condemnation for the ways that we have sinned against God and hurt others. But here's the second side to the coin of the gospel. That you are more loved than you could ever imagine. God loves you so much that he came to rescue you from your sin by dying for it. Jesus Christ came to this earth to live the life that you were supposed to live, but don't, to die the death that you deserve to die, but won't. And now he is gloriously resurrected at the right hand of God, completed everything needed to bring you back into the rest that Adam and Eve enjoyed before sin entered the world and brought with it estrangement from God. Why do you think on the cross, Jesus Christ said, it is finished? It is completed. And now he is at the right hand of God, resting. And how is he resting? He is ruling over his creation. So practically, this is how hearing the gospel leads us to rest in God. And it really happens in two ways. First, we can rest from hiding from our sins or hiding our sins because we can't hide them. Again, we just read, we are completely exposed before God. It's impossible to hide our sin. He knows the depth of our sin and rebellion. And so we don't have to hide it. Instead, we can be convicted by our sin. Now notice I didn't say convicted of sin. I said convicted by sin because you'll hear that word conviction and you'll think, well, that's just some churchy word that means I'm supposed to regret and feel bad for my sin. But I'm not talking about emotional conviction. I'm talking about a legal conviction. We need to admit that we are guilty, that we are deserving of a legal and spiritual conviction. What we don't need to do is minimize our sin. We don't need to say, like, well, I'm not Hitler or bin Laden, which, by the way, is a super low bar that doesn't really mean anything. But you can't look at somebody and go, well, at least I'm not as sinful as that person. Or you can't look at your life and go, I don't know, I'm a pretty good person. You need to let your sin convict you as guilty. And we will never truly rest until we are free to admit that. That we are guilty before a holy God. We need to come out of hiding. 
And the second way that the gospel brings us rest, we see in verse 10. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. So what that means is we need to rest from the work of trying to be reconciled to God. When you realize that Jesus did all the work to give you rest, access, and the love of God, and that you are accepted not by what you have done, but by what Jesus has done, that's how peace comes. That's how rest comes, because you don't have to work. You've already got his acceptance. Because here's the thing. The thing that keeps us from rest isn't necessarily our sin or the things that we've done wrong. More so, it's the things that we've done right. And we keep looking to those right things, thinking that if I just did more of it, God would accept me. If I just did more of this stuff, he's going to approve of me. But here's the thing. There's never enough. How much is enough? You can always do more. You can always read your Bible more. You can always pray more. You can always tell more people about Jesus. Good news, rest from your work, because here's why. It doesn't work. You can't scratch and claw to get the approval of God. It's impossible. You already have it. Trying to work for God is actually what is keeping you from resting in Him. As theologian John Gerstner used to say, the main thing between you and God is not so much your sins, it's your damnable good works. So we have to hear the gospel and we have to let it do its work on us. The second thing that we can do to enter the rest of God, and maybe the most difficult thing we need to do, is in verses 2 and 3. The author wrote, For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them, because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he has said, As I swore my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. The word faith in verse 2 and believed in verse 3 come from the same Greek word pistis, which means to believe. And that's the hard thing we have to do. We have to believe the gospel. Because again, our hearts tell us, well, you really aren't that bad, and we do a lot of good things, but that is not the gospel. The gospel is this, is that we are so wicked that in order for us to be forgiven, it required the very death of God. If you want to minimize your sin, look at the cross and see what your forgiveness required. But you are so loved, he was happy to do it. We are told that it was the joy set before him, and we have to believe this at a heart level. And the only way we can do that is to believe it and remind ourselves of it every day. Because as one theologian so famously said, we have to preach the gospel to ourselves every day because every day we forget it. Every day we have to hear and believe the gospel because if we don't, because I know if I don't, then I run back into that orphan mentality. I find myself in doubt and unbelief yet again with the weight of the world on my shoulders living as a spiritual orphan. We have to believe. We have to have faith every day. The third way our passage tells us we can enter into the rest of God is found in verse 11. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort 
of disobedience. We need to fight. As Graham pointed out, we've got to strive to enter into his rest. And a great way to strive for his rest is to fight for this day. To fight for the Sabbath. Again, we have so many distractions. We have so many things that we need to get done, even good things. We have unending to-do lists and house projects. There aren't enough hours in the day or days in the week. Yet God calls us and tells us to take one day and set it aside from all the others. And why does he ask us to do that? To punish us? No. He wants us to rest. He wants us to rest in him and fight to do so. It's how we actually get the rest of God. As Mark Buchanan in his book, The Rest of God, which I highly recommend, wrote on this very thing. He said, In a culture where busyness is a fetish and stillness is laziness, rest is sloth. But without rest, we miss the rest of God. The rest he invites us to enter more fully so that we might know him more deeply. Be still and know that I am God. Some knowing is never pursued, only received. And for that, you need to be still. Sabbath is both a day and an attitude to nurture such stillness. It is both time on a calendar and a disposition of the heart. It is a day we enter, but just as much a way we see. Sabbath imparts the rest of God, actual physical, mental, spiritual rest, but also the rest of God, the things of God's nature and presence we miss in our busyness. When God gave his Ten Commandments in Exodus and Deuteronomy, he connects the Sabbath to both creation and when he delivered his people out of the slavery to Egypt. And he said, because of these two things, you need to set aside the Sabbath as holy. The Sabbath is meant to remind us of the peace and rest that Adam and Eve had before sin entered the world. And it's to remind us of our delivery out of the captivity to that sin. That rest is available to us now, and the ultimate rest is coming. This day is given to us so that we can know God better, so that we can know the work that he has done for, his, for us, and so that we can know his rest. And so we need to fight for it. We need to strive for it. We need to protect this day. We need to strive to enter into his rest. Now, I know that some of you may not like to hear that because you may think, well, that just sounds like legalism. That's just keeping rules for the sake of keeping rules. Or you may say, well, no, but it's actually more helpful and I'm more at rest on Monday if I'm able to put in a couple of hours of getting work done on a Sunday afternoon. But let me ask you this. Does resting on a Sunday, or excuse me, does not resting on a Sunday actually make Monday more restful? And I'm not talking about legalism. I'm talking about a God-given gift that we rarely receive. Jesus himself said that the Sabbath is made for man, not man for the Sabbath. It is a gift to us. And so as we close, I want to read one last quote from Dr. Capic, and it's one that really resonated with me this week. He said, how luxurious does this sound? You get a full night of sleep. Next, you take time to gather with God's people to sing, pray, and receive the word and sacrament. And then you go, excuse me, then you, 
That doesn't make any sense. Then you go and enjoy a slow lunch with others, go for a walk, take a guilt-free nap, and spend time with family or friends, reading or resting or whatever. You get a whole day of rest and worship. What if I told you this is not a luxury, but a fundamental aspect of how God made you? Now, I butchered that, but doesn't that sound good? Doesn't that sound refreshing? That's not legalism. That is freedom. Something we, and frankly, our whole world needs more of. We need to live in that freedom. So hear the gospel. You can rest. Believe it and fight to protect it. Let me pray for us. Lord, we are a busy, busy people. We are achievers, and we live in a city that is completely focused on achievement and success and accomplishment. And so the idea of setting aside time to rest and to worship, to invest relationally with family and friends and with you, is a foreign concept. But you tell us to strive to remember the gospel, that we cannot hide our sin from you, and we can rest from our work of trying to achieve love from you because we already have it, and there's nothing we can do to lose it. I pray that we would believe that, and I pray that we would fight to get to know you better and to know your rest in a real and tangible way. In your name I pray. Amen.